0: Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Let's uh, get back to the economy because that's what everybody's concerned about these days as we head out of the uh, pandemic. The vaccination program is rolling along. That's great news. But what about jobs and what about job creation? Well, uh, according to the latest figures, the economy added 259,000 jobs in February, uh, far exceeding economic predictions. Don Kelly has the details.
1: Economists had forecast a gain of just 75,000 jobs last month. The February gains have almost wiped out the pandemic lockdown-related losses in December and January. Statistics Canada reports the unemployment rate fell to 8.2%, which is the lowest it's been since last March. The gains now leave the country 599,100 jobs short of where they were in February of last year, or 3.1% below pre-pandemic levels. Don Kelly, the Canadian Press.
0: So when you put that in perspective as to where we were pre-pandemic, and now it just shows you what kind of an impact this thing has had on the economy. So where are we heading and how quickly are we getting there? Uh, Marvin Ryder joins us, business professor from the DeGroote School of Business at McMaster University. Uh, Marvin, as always, thanks for joining us. Great to have you back on the show today. Glad to be with you, Bill. Well, they say it's exceeding expectations. Uh, Those expectations were rather low to begin with, weren't they?
1: (laughs) Well, yes. In fairness, uh, I didn't even think there'd be 75,000 jobs added in February. Most of the major provinces in Canada were still in lockdown. Now, this data was gathered right around Valentine's Day. Uh, Many things have opened since Valentine's Day, but that week was not a good week. And I was actually more worried the other way around. I thought the unemployment rate would likely go up, and could we keep it under 10 percent? So this, again, is another sign that the economy is bouncing back uh, fairly quickly. The only thing that's really holding us back now are three sectors of our economy. That's travel, tourism and hospitality. None of those sectors are back close to where they were pre-pandemic. And if we want to get this number from 8.2% back to where it was pre-pandemic, so in January, February of 2020, unemployment was more like 5.6%, 5.5%. If we want to get it from 82 down there, we've got to get those three sectors reopened and functioning.
0: All right. To, to bridge that gap, though, uh, do we just open the doors again to the businesses that aren't open yet, uh, and, and that's going to look after itself, or, or, or do we have to roll our sleeves up and try to, to get creative here?
1: <laughs> well, I think creativity is necessary in part because we can't just open the doors just yet. Uh, uh, I would love to, to see Air Canada be able to go back to a full flight schedule, Air Canada has canceled 90 percent nine zero, ninety 9-0, 90% of their flights so far, and there's no sign of that changing. We just saw news on the weekend that Air Transat, uh, that's more of the charter carrier, has extended its uh, lack of flights from April 30th to June 30th because they just don't see us getting enough people vaccinated fast enough They don't think travel is going to happen until we can get those uh, vaccines in people's arms. So that's really our challenge. I think we have to be creative, but it's not a a business creativity we need. It really is about a massive increase in the rate of vaccination. And then asking the hard question, once you've been vaccinated, can can I allow you to travel? And if the answer is yes, what documentation am I going to need to present? allow me to travel. Bill, just another quick example. The border between Canada and the United States, at least if you're driving, is still closed, closed till March 21st. I'm expecting any day this week to hear that that's been extended to April 21st. And so when you say to our federal government, okay, uh, I understand, you know, it's not safe to travel, Um, when will it be safe to travel, or what are the conditions necessary to reopen the border? People stare at you, they've got a blank notion, they don't actually know what are the criteria we need to reopen the border, and if we want to get back to a fully functioning economy, we've got to get the flow of people going again.
0: Well, that's it. And, and that's frustrated me for the last year as well. In, in other words, what are you guys looking for? What's the, the bar that we have to exceed here to say, okay, it's, it's safe now. We can start doing this. Uh, because it's, as you said, Marvin, it's, it's a border crossing or a closing. It's not really a border closing because I can get on a plane to Pearson and go down south, uh, but I can't drive across the border at, in, in Niagara Falls or Fort Erie. That, it seems somewhat, uh, I guess, like a double standard, but it's the way it is, and it's not going to change, I guess, anytime soon right now. Uh, but you raise another interest. Interesting point too even when they do uh, say okay it's it's safe to get back on a plane and we're going to open the borders up just uh, talk about vaccination passports and all sorts of other things that are going on here right now that could which could be contributing factors in this
1: well you know here's again a simple example um, suppose you drove to the border right now and said to the nice people there oh I can go in the United States I've been vaccinated and they say oh oh am I just supposed to trust you when you say that we know unfortunately that people um, much like they, some people, not all, but some people said, oh, I'm not allowed to wear masks. I have a medical condition. Well, do I just trust you when you say that? Uh, again, the consequences of the p- pandemic are such that I think we need to have some level of documentation. But we've never had one of these in recent memory. In other parts of the world, you needed to be vaccinated, let's say, for malaria or you had to be vaccinated for special diseases in that area. They, you could always bring documentation, but that was the exception now it's probably going to be some kind of a rule, and, and we just we don't know what that is
0: well and it's going to cause a big fear when it finally happens too because those that don't have those documentations or just refuse to get vaccines or whatever the case might be uh are they denied access to to travel i mean i you know that's that's a debate that they're going to have to have and it's a political decision and a medical decision but it's certainly going to have an impact on the recovery because as you said that's one area that uh, has really been hurt and we feel that marvin here in southern ontario uh and not just in niagara falls but i know you know the city of hamilton city of toronto for that matter rely on u.s tourists coming here in the Summertime is spending a lot of their money, and that's not happening and may not happen this summer.
1: Now, Bill, let me give you another variation on those numbers you saw on Friday 259,000 jobs, great news, much more than we were expecting. But of the 259,000, 171,000 were part time employment only 88,000 were full-time employment. And again, I guarantee you, as we reopen, uh, yes, we're giving you some shifts, we're giving you some hours of work, but we're not back to full capacity. So, again, take a restaurant as an example. Okay, bravo, you've opened, but you can only have so many people in your restaurant at one time, and all the different conditions. So, uh, we need to get uh, those new sectors open, and for the sectors who are open, we need to get going closer to full capacity, and, and we're not There yet. And maybe one other little note about these. Most of the jobs that Canada added were in Ontario, 100,000 in Ontario, 113,000 in Quebec. Together, that's 213 of 259. So that's really important. Those two economies, Ontario and Quebec, Account for 60% of Canada's G, uh, gross domestic product, or GDP. So we're really thrilled to see those gains. Again, the question is going to be: Can we sustain them for another month or two? Uh, and and my worry is, I'm talking to you right now. You saw the headline in today's paper. You know, the the numbers since we've reopened have started to go in the wrong direction again. Uh, it was in March and April of 2020 that we locked down. Uh, this is middle of March. Are we potentially heading to a, sec- a third lockdown, another- a third wave? I'm, I'm hoping no. But again, what I would say to anybody listening is you, you just can't, you can't assume that we're on the right side of this just yet. If we aren't careful, we may trigger yet another round of lockdown.
0: Uh, as uh, we've been talking about in past discussions about this, uh, we, we have to include in here the, the demographic breakdown here, uh, which I think is significant here. The shortfall is much higher This employment shortfall. Uh, young workers at 10.2% unemployment rate and young women between ages 15 and 24 are impacted by this. Uh, the, as we've talked about, Marvin, some people have dubbed this the she-session because of the impact it's had on women in the workforce.
1: Yes, well, several groups. So uh, first, hourly workers have been hit more by the pandemic than uh, salaried workers. Uh, younger workers have been hit more than older workers. Uh, women, and that's, again, I, I don't mean to sound stereotypical, but that's the role. Women are really the primary caregiver. So if children are sent home or have to learn from home, uh, who's going to stay home and work with the kids, you know, eight times out of ten, it's going to be women doing that, so we haven't got them back. Uh, also, new Canadians, uh, Canadians who've arrived here in the last 10 years, oftentimes as a new Canadian, uh, you know, you're know, you working jobs that that uh, uh, are more hourly are not necessarily the most prestigious of jobs, and those, too, have been shut down through all of this. So we haven't got everybody back to where we're going. But, again, I'm a light a candle rather than curse the darkness kind of guy. Everything's moving in the right direction. I just need to see it continue moving, and that's why the budget that you're going to see on March 24th from the province, and the federal budget, whenever we see that, probably more likely closer to the end of April, I think they're still going to be talking about supports needed in the economy to keep, keep businesses healthy, get them back to normal whenever that might happen to be. I'm thinking now it's the third and fourth quarters of this year, maybe starting on July 1st, that we can start getting closer to normalcy. But right at the moment, we're still in that transitionary period
0: how do you target those groups though if you want to offer specific help to them and i don't want to make the assumption by the way you talked about the tourism and and hospitality industries and i don't know that that makes up the bulk of of those numbers that we've just talked about here and, and whether and i'm not naive enough to think well it's going to look after itself as soon as the doors open because as you and i know a lot of those doors aren't going to open again and and that's you know they're going to be leaving people behind uh which which begs the question what do we do about this and and you know you get into the realm of things like retraining maybe you're not going to go back to the job that you had pre-pandemic and that's that's a difficult choice for a lot of people
1: yes so so let me start first with the government policy side of this Um, in 2020 we saw a lot of what I'll call broad brush programs so CERB or the Canadian Emergency Wage Subsidy or the Rental Assistance Program that were really uh, just trying to help everybody and anybody they could possibly put into the tent I think the days of those programs have passed, and I think the challenge facing both the province and the federal government are going to be much more targeted, sector-specific programs. And to your question, you know, what is needed, let's say, to get the um, tourism sector back on its feet? What is needed to get uh, the arts sectors back on their feet? You know, we haven't been able to go and enjoy uh, uh, an opera or a, uh, a philharmonic concert uh, we haven't been able to listen to country music or what have you live. How do we get those things back started? So I think what's taking the time is that uh, it's fairly easy to develop a broad brush program, but when you need targeted sector-specific programs, you need a little more consultation, a little more planning, and that's what we're going to see this year. There are many sectors that have come back. But the other question, Bill, is what does the post-pandemic normal look like um, you know uh, i don't again i don't want to be stereotypical but there are a number of people in hamilton who don't actually work here they live here, but many of them were commuters who would hop onto a GO train in the morning and, and work into Toronto, or a GO bus and work in Toronto. Of course, they were sent home. Uh, don't don't come into Toronto, work from home. Well, they kind of have grown used to this now. Look, I don't have to get up at 5.30 in the morning. I can get up at 7.30. I, I don't have an hour and a half commute in and an hour and a half commute back. I'm not buying stuff on the way like a Starbucks coffee or a, a, a quick eat, a quick bite to eat. I can go to my own kitchen. And when the time comes and we say, okay, the pandemic has passed, come on back to work, will people want to go back to work? And and what we don't know at this point is, will the future of work be more home-based? Will people spend, say, over a five-day work week, spend three days at home and two days in the office? What does that also mean in terms of office rentals? Now, I, I'm, I, I don't want to get everyone all scared and uh, frightened, But we've never locked something down for this length of time, and it would be naive to think that when we say, come on back, that everyone wants to go back to where we were before. Now that they've had a taste of a different lifestyle, I think many people want to try to keep it
0: isn't that going to go both ways though I mean some of the companies themselves are simply going to say you know what this is costing us a lot less money and hey here's a shock they're just as productive in some cases I'm hearing even more productive working from home than they would be in the office environment so there's there's going to be some pretty heavy duty discussions about what's going to happen going forward I would think
1: yeah now Bill again I, I don't want to alarm people but one of the reasons why people have been so productive working from home is in some ways they never stop working Uh, In other words, uh, when I would go into Toronto, well, I arrive at the office by 9, I'm done by 5, then I take the train back, and if I'm not in the office, I'm not working. But when I'm at home, and you can send me an email at 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock at night, I feel a bit obligated to look at that email and maybe even respond to that email. So people aren't working 8-hour days. In some cases, they're almost 7 by 24 in terms of their work, and I'm not sure what that means in terms of mental health in the country fine again as an emergency measure to get us through the pandemic but if this is going to become the new normal we may need new rules around working environments for instance you know shut down your computer on saturday and sunday no one should expect you to respond when you're not on the clock but um it's just uh, too early to figure that all out but you're absolutely right businesses are looking at this as well as the employees
0: well, because they've saved some money, they're not paying. In some cases, they're not paying the rent. they you know, they they may look at this and say, "Hey, maybe we don't need 100,000 square feet anymore," and uh, and that's going to have a an, I think an impact on on what's going to happen going forward. I got about a minute left here. Let me ask you the obvious question about consumer confidence. I mean, especially when retail opens the doors again, uh, there's been a question over the last couple of weeks as to whether or not we as consumers are willing to spend. I, I got to figure, Marvin, judging by the lineups I see at Winners and Costco and everything, we're ready, willing, and able.
1: Well, a couple of things have happened in the last year. First, uh, many people have been able to save some money and also bring down their debts. Now, it is true on Friday, Stats Canada also shared that Canada, Canadians were carrying a record amount of mortgage debt. So some people have jumped into the housing market, but many other people have been able to put some money aside. And I think, again, when you give them the all-clear items that they felt they wanted to buy, maybe a new refrigerator or some new clothes or new shoes what have you they'll want to go out there and spend the question also is going to be will they spend it in bricks and mortar stores in your neighborhoods or are they going to go online i'm again i'm not clear but i do think there's a social aspect to shopping and when we give people the all clear i think many of them will return to their stores
0: well time will tell always great to get your perspective marvin thanks so much for this today glad to be with you bill Harvard Breider, of course, from the DeGroote School of Business at McMaster University. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.